Well, good morning. Uh, great to uh, see you and great if you're joining us online. I hope uh, this is a helpful time as we gather together and reflect on these things. Look, this is such an important topic. I mean, as it is with each week, as we look at what the Bible has to say, I'm going to pray for us and uh, just ask that God might bless that time. So if you're comfortable, just bow your heads. Otherwise, listen in. Let me pray. Our great God, we do thank you for the opportunity to consider the words that you have given us. Uh, pray, please, you would help me speak what's true. Uh, help me speak in a way that's interesting. Uh, but help us, please, engage. Help us think. Please stir us to consider these deep things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our summer series. Each summer we do this kind of thing. We go out and ask the community uh, what questions they have. This year we did something a little bit different. Uh, what would make God good news for you? And the topic that we're considering today is exactly what some people responded. A number of people responded along these lines. God would be good news if he cared enough to fix things. Now, <laughs> that is such a great answer. I, I just... Um, it's interesting how we ask people and you get what really is going on and really helpful. And this one's particularly massive. Uh, every year we do this kind of series and we every year ask people their questions and something like this is mentioned every year. And it's not surprising because the world's messed up. The world needs fixing. Uh, and, and we wonder, where's God in the midst of it all? You know, there was a period there, I think, on the Central Coast particularly, but in our country, where for some years you could imagine it, the problems were all over there, <laughs> and uh, in our country, we're doing pretty well. Um, it was possible to ignore it all, we live in a great place, but then it all came at us. So the fires, the beginning of last year, uh, the floods, I mean, how is Australia? Just from one to the other. But then the pandemic, the virus... Um, has impacted us obviously worldwide. Uh, then the riots, not just overseas but in Australia, um, the kind of evidence more and more of divisions, deep divisions amongst races, amongst men and women, uh, over identity, personal issues, the climate, environment. Uh, it's an extraordinary... You know, the world is messed up and I think it's easier today to see that we have got a long way to go. As I say, some time ago, I think most people would have thought we're on the path, it's going well, but what has always been there in the last little patch has definitely come to the surface and we are as bad as we've been. It seems like as you look around, the evidence of the problems in our community, in our world, the world is messed up. And so here it is, where's God? Where is He? What's He doing? You know, sometimes that's the cry of the person in the wheelchair, sometimes it's the cry of the person in the armchair. You know, it's the cry of the person in the wheelchair who's had, who's had the world disasters come upon them personally. And they're asking that cry from the heart, where was God? Where is God? And it might be you today, it might be as you're watching that you consider all the particular things happening in your life. And I've got to say, you scratch anyone in our church and you'll find a horror story. There's, we're all dealing with pain and hurt, but you might be in a particularly very serious situation and you're crying this out as a real cry of the heart. Or it might be, though, you're in the armchair. It's not personally your issue so much as you look around the world and you think uh, and you see and you consider and you ask the theoretical but real question... Uh, where is God in the midst of all of this? Do you know, like, um, we've got a real action thing happening in our society at the moment. People are stepping up and, and wanting to see change. And I can see it on their faces almost, this kind of concept that we care, 
We're trying to make a difference. Where's God? You know, if I had the power that God has and cared, I'd fix it. So why hasn't he? Where, where is he? Why is he not? What's interesting to me, though, that the way this statement's been expressed, God would be good news if he cared enough to fix things, actually takes this issue a touch further. Uh, if God did care enough to fix things, he'd be a God I could believe in. That's the sense, I think, that comes through the people who spoke like this. Do you know, when it, God would be good news, the fact that things aren't getting fixed, the fact that he seems absent, leaves many people feeling justified in dismissing him. You know, what's the point in believing in God? Actually, no, what's the point of following God? I've heard this sense that, you know, what's the point of following him? I, I don't need him. He's not doing anything and I'm coping without him and so I'll just continue on my own. This is massive. You know, um, uh, I, I spent some time a couple of weeks ago with a woman who had um, actually said one of the statements that we're wrestling with over this series and I, I, I found out and invited her to consider spending some time with me just so I could understand where she was coming from and as a really I really appreciated her time she was very open and honest with me and it was great to um, try and get into her head and and see why she's thinking how she's thinking and so on and it was really very helpful you know she was a single mum raising a bunch of kids on her own trying to hold down a job trying to do the best she could doing all of this and there was a sense in which what she was saying was it feels like I'm on my own anyway where is God What's the point? He's not helping me. So she felt it was just best to keep making her own way and live her own life. She doesn't need him. Now, I can understand that. And we had, a, I, I think, what was a very uh, helpful conversation together. Um, and what I'm about to say this morning, though, I don't think it'll surprise you, I have a very different view on God. And I want to suggest to you there are good reasons for the view that I have. And I want to put those reasons to you this morning. I think things are very different to the way they seem. I think God is very different from the way this popular view casts him. He is good news, very good news. And here it is. Because he doesn't step in and fix things. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but that's, I'm actually saying the very reverse of what many have offered for us. Many are saying, I think God was good news if he stepped in and fixed things. And you can understand what that's, the pain, the grief, the hurt. If God would just, I think that'd be good news. What I want to suggest to you, I think he's good news because he doesn't step in and fix things. Feel the weirdness of that. He'd be good news if he did. I'm saying the exact reverse. He's good news because he doesn't step in and fix things. Now that needs some explaining. And I want to do that with you. It's profoundly important, I think. I've got three steps I want to take you through just to move towards uh, a final explanation of it all. The first thing I want to do is show you that the Bible... Uh, which is this book that we look at every week in this place, which we are convinced is God speaking to us. Now, that's a big claim, of course. We run that series that Sarah mentioned 
a little earlier called life. The second week of life goes through all the evidences for the reliability of the Bible, why we're convinced it is the way it is. And I tell you, most people come out of that week quite shocked that they had no idea there was so much backing up the Bible. I'd love you to come, I invite you to come along and spend some time looking at these things. But in the Bible, which I'm convinced is God speaking to us, it states again and again that God does care. Now, this doesn't answer the question I'm raising for us, the issue I'm pushing, but I I just want to lay this foundation. The Bible is profoundly confident in the care of God and that He has promised to act. Um, You know, from the very beginning of the Bible, it makes this point, from the very first pages, the Bible talks about God creating. We're not just an accident, we're here because He's created us. But the way the Bible talks about God creating is that He creates us in a garden, the Garden of Eden. He he, He places us in an environment that he has made rich, full, uh, uh, beautiful, good, safe, abundant. He himself is described as walking in the cool of the evening with the first man and woman. God is a God who made all of this for us to enjoy relationship with him and he, he... poured out his goodness into creation that we might enjoy it and you know even after the first humans rejected God in our pride and foolishness we threw him off that same God we're told after just two pages of the Bible the one that we've rejected promises to send a saviour to fix the world he's talked as one who would come as the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head but he himself will be bruised it will cost God to do it but he'll do it in his love for us You know, there's a moment later in the Bible, it's pivotal, it's in a book called the book of Exodus, where God comes to show His glory to Moses, one of the great figures of the Old Testament. And He shows His glory by speaking to Moses about who He is and what He's like. And He says this, the Lord, the Lord, God is God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. The headline of the glory of God is that He is compassionate, caring and loving. It goes on to speak of His holiness, that He is a just God and will eradicate the world of sin and evil and selfishness. He will judge, but the headline is compassion, grace, mercy, love. He speaks in the book of Genesis 2 of His grief over the state of the world. He's grieved that He's made a world where humans have become what we have become. And then this, in the book of Isaiah, we're still in the Old Testament part of the Bible. In Isaiah 65, God promises long before Jesus comes, He promises to remake the world, to to fix it, to fix the environment so that the wolf and the lamb lie down together, so that there's peace and harmony, so that men and women live out their days. It's abundantly clear when you read the Bible that He cares and He will fix things. Perhaps the most vivid piece in all of this is the coming of Jesus though. Now this is a massive thing to say but the Bible says of Jesus that He is the Son of God, come from God, God with us. It's a massive claim of course, it's central to everything the Christian faith rests upon and that's why we're inviting you to look at the accounts of Jesus' life actually. We've decided over these weeks to look through just one account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Luke. So Heidi actually read from a section we'll look at a moment together. Um, This account of Luke tells the history of the person of Jesus. It's it's an account that researches all the evidence for the reliability of Jesus and who He is. And it's a great way to start 
if you've not looked at the person of Jesus before. We can go back to the primary documents and see who he is. But what you see here is evidence of God coming amongst us and caring. You know, he comes upon a leper, verse 12, chapter 5. A man with a skin disease. Leprosy is a terribly contagious disease that makes people um, repelled from them. Uh, and, you know, it's a bit like the pandemic, the virus. You keep your distance from a leper. There's something disgusting about the disease in the ancient world. And this leper comes before Jesus, falls to his face in front of him and begs him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. He doesn't just from a distance do something, he comes in close and he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left the man. A little later, Heidi read for us in verse 17, uh, a man is brought to Jesus who's paralysed. Verse 18, some men carrying a paralysed man on a mat tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. They were keen to get this man healed. When they couldn't find a way to, to bring him before Jesus, in the, ha- the house was crowded, it was full, there was no way they could get in. They went up on the roof, we're told, and dug through the tiles of the roof, separated the roof apart, and lowered this paralysed man down right in front of Jesus in the middle of the crowd. They're determined to have their friend come face to face with Jesus. And Jesus does some extraordinary things, we'll come back to them in a moment, but he does this particularly, he says... Get up, verse 24, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and wouldn't you? Jesus has done extraordinary things. But he has done it out of care. You know, there's a couple of incidents. um, Out of 20 examples of Jesus healing people uh, throughout the Gospel accounts, over 20, there's a couple of occasions where he actually is said to have raised dead people to life again. Now, I know it's an extraordinary thing, but uh, look at this with me. In chapter 7, he's in a town called Nain and his disciples were with a crowd there. Verse 12, as he approached the town... A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. This is a terrible situation. The large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the thing upon which they were carrying this son and the bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, I know all of this is astonishing. It's extraordinary. The crowds, that, this is not an ancient world full of superstition naivety where they think this happens all the time. They were filled with awe and praise God. But listen to this. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said, God has come to help his people. You see, the theme through here is God is a God of care, of love, of compassion, of grace and mercy. And when he comes in the person of Jesus, he walks and he cares and he heals and he fixes. God has come amongst us to help his people. 
You know, it's important to go through this uh, material, actually, I think, because we have a schoolyard myth that does the rounds, you know, those things you pick up uh, that keeps being trotted out and around the place. And that little myth is that the God of the Bible is vengeful, angry, hostile. Now, the fact is there are moments of judgment in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, but I just want to draw your attention. I mean, there are fact, moments of, of judgment because God is a just, holy God, confronted with evil. But I want to draw your attention to this, that there are moments that happen after centuries of patience. Now, you won't pick that up in reading through the Old Testament in a sitting because it's like the highlights of the cricket. Um, I, I, look, I want to be careful with this. I know lots of you love cricket and... Um, I, I like cricket. I, I will often watch a test. Um, I've never been to watch a test, and I'll tell you why in a moment. I love to watch it at home on TV, and I particularly love to watch it when it's on the news as a package of highlights. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because here's the deal. When you watch the highlights of cricket at the end of the day, you know, that kind of two-minute, one-minute package, what does cricket look like it is? It looks... Here's a woman speaking. It looks exciting and interesting. She's <laughs> a very sporty woman, I might say, there too. But it looks exciting and interesting. That's exactly right. Um, don't be fooled. Because you go to the cricket for five days and nothing happens. <laughs> I, I was talking with one of you a couple of weeks ago about cricket and uh, he said, have you ever been? I said, no, I've never been. I'll just push fast forward on the TV. And he said, well... The great thing about cricket, I could go and I can sit and I could take my shirt off and just relax. And I said, exactly, nothing happens all day. Um, but here's the deal. The Old Testament, it, it happens over centuries. It's recording history of a thousand years. There are moments of judgment that occur. But the Old Testament is like a compacted highlights reel that it makes you think that this God, no, he's been patient for centuries, bearing with the compassionate God. He is Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see him and he comes into the world with boundaries. He's holy. He judges. He doesn't take nonsense. He is a strong God in Jesus, but he's full of compassion, grace and mercy. And he comes to fix and save, to fix the world. But... Well, if he came to fix the world, how come it's still broken? How come nothing's changed? If he came to be a saviour, at great group fanfare, there was so much excitement around his life and he did much in a few years, but then he died and all seemed to come to an end. What's he been doing since then? Where is he? Here's the second step. You see, the first step is just to make the point that the Bible is very emphatic that God is a God who does care, who will fix things. But the second step is this, that something needs to be done before he does fix things. And this becomes evident when you look a little bit more closely at that episode that Heidi read for us from Luke chapter 5 where Jesus heals the paralysed man. If you followed it through when we were reading it, there's a small thing that happens that has massive implications. It had implications for the people present. It caused quite a stir. Uh, let me show you to you. It's there in verse 20. 
Now remember this, uh, friends have brought a paralysed man, they've dug a hole in the roof, they're so desperate to get this man to Jesus, they've lowered him down in front of Jesus. And verse 20, here's Jesus' reaction. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, that kicks off a whole massively important discussion between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there, verse 21, about who can forgive sins but God alone. This man's blaspheming, he's pretending to be God because who can forgive sins except God himself? And it's an important point, just very quickly on it, it's simply reflecting on the fact that you cannot forgive the sins of a person who's offended against another. So Sarah, who's been leading our service this morning, you know, Sarah is uh, in the car park this afternoon and she, uh, she runs her car into Heidi. She, and and not, not accidentally, she's a very good driver. She does it because she's angry at Heidi. Now, I don't know what's gone on, but she's just, she's targeted her. And I walk up to the scene and I say, Sarah, don't worry about it, you're forgiven. How does Heidi feel? How does James feel? <laughs> you see, you, you cannot forgive someone's sin which has not been against you but been against another person. The only person who can forgive someone's sin is the person who's been sinned against. Principle. And that's exactly what's playing here. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they get this, they understand this and they say, they say this man's blaspheming, claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone, the one who's been sinned against? And Jesus says this, verse 22, why are you thinking these things in your heart, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which is easier? One's easy to say, the other's hard to pull off. But that, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus does what seems to be the harder thing, the healing, to demonstrate that the seemingly easier thing, which is actually really the harder thing, can be done. He has the authority and power to do that. He is God amongst us. But that's not the thing I want you to focus on. I want you to notice something else. Forgiveness of sins is where Jesus goes first. They've brought this paralysed man to Jesus. Their friends have brought him. What are, they, what are they hoping for? I mean, they've carried this man for how, how far we don't know, but some distance. And they've carried this man because the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick, verse 17. They've brought this man who has no hope in that ancient world. I mean, there's no health system, there's no welfare that can provide for him. He's on his own. It's a terrible context to be in an ancient world. They've dug a hole through the roof to get him down to Jesus. And the thing they're desperately hoping for is that Jesus might heal him. But what Jesus does is, says, friend, your sins are forgiven. How do you think the paralysed man feels? Thanks. You know, I don't know, it's like your car's broken down on a hot summer's day, you've got three kids in the back screaming, you call the NRMA, the NRMA comes out, you're desperately waiting for a couple of hours, he finally arrives and says, here's a good book to read, and goes again. Do you remember, thanks. No, no, I want you to fix the car. Now, what is going on here? Why does Jesus go there? Because... He sees what is not obvious to us, that the big thing, the big need, 
the thing that most needs fixing is sin. Our relationship with God. You know, I want to suggest, I think actually that we're in a better place these days to see and understand this than we might have been for many years. Because in the past we've been a very visual culture and perhaps we still are in many ways. But there's been a shift. We do now, we're now more aware of the unseen impact in relationships. That is to say, in the past, the only kind of relational hurt that we cared about was physical ones. So physical abuse was the great problem. Um, now, physical abuse is abhorrent. I'm not suggesting there's any to minimise that. But what we've realised is that there's something as bad, perhaps even worse than physical abuse. It's emotional abuse. You can't see it. And that's why it's hard to pick up. But we've become very alert to the deeper hurts, the emotional hurts, so that in relationship, the pain of betrayal, the, the evil of dismissing someone, rejecting a person persistently and repeatedly, the damage that does in relationship. We're, we're much more aware of the denying, the despising, the, the dismissing, these, the, the impact. You know, there's lots of problems in the world that we can see with the environment, violence, war and so on. But there is an unseen problem that is far deeper and far more serious. And that problem is our rejection of God. A rejection that happens in a, in a million small ways. We were made for relationship with God. He, he, he gave us the garden to live in. And he walked with us in the cool of the evening. He wanted to bless us and be with us and have us know relationship with him. To, to, to honour him, glorify him and enjoy him forever. But we decided he was unnecessary. No more than that actually. We decided we would have our best life without him. That our best life would be found in putting ourselves at the centre. That's what sin is. When Jesus was confronted with the paralysed man, the first thing he does, the first thing he speaks to, is this man's need for forgiveness as his greater problem, his greater need. Now, I hasten to say, not because his paralysis was because of immediately caused by sin it wasn't like he was sinful and so paralyzed that there's other religions that would draw those lines but the christian faith doesn't draw it quite like that it's rather the biggest problem hanging over this man and all of us and in some profound way is the cause of the mess we're in is sin and i just say again this passage isn't saying there's a direct line between sin and the man's plight but it is saying it's one key reason why the world is the way it is and why we have such accidents that cause these things. See, let, just let me explain this. God gave us the garden and we've made it a trash yard. We decided in our pride we were better off living for ourselves without Him. We rejected Him, the Creator, the loving Giver, the Father, and we destroyed everything. We, we uprooted life and unleashed selfishness into our world, which has devastated us. That's why Jesus starts there. And it's why he leaves off doing many more physical healings as time goes on. You know, it's not long, and I'll just urge you again to read through it yourself. It's not long after these events that 
Jesus leaves off doing public healings and moves into a teaching ministry with his disciples and then moves into Jerusalem, knowing that in Jerusalem he'll be crucified. And it's astonishing that every account of Jesus' life majors on the last week of Jesus' life as he comes close to the cross until he's, and then crucified. Why? Because that's the event. The death of Jesus. Because it's there that he makes forgiveness of sins possible. This is, this is a rich and profound thing and uh, just very briefly, I haven't got time to go into it this morning, we'll look at it more next week, but the rich and profound, the Bible uses all kinds of images to kind of make sense of the cross, the death of Jesus. It talks about the death of Jesus as that moment where God pays our debt, that moment where he cleanses our hearts, where he washes us with his blood, where he drinks the cup of God's wrath that we ought to have, he drinks it for us in our place. He takes upon himself the curse that was ours and he does all of this so that in his death and resurrection we can be forgiven. We can be restored back into relationship with God and at such a cost. All of this was anticipated in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that he would come and fix the world. But in the midst of all that prophecy about fixing the world was embedded this importance of forgiveness restored back to God and here is the last step first step God is a God of care he does care second step there was something that needed to be done first forgiveness third step and the last step and I want to underline this is the main point of this morning this is if you've not listened to any this is the big point of this morning he needed to fix sin first. He needed to reconcile us back to God first because if he fixed the visible, physical, human issues that our world suffers without fixing the spiritual inner, unseen problem of relationship with God, when he does fix the visible, broken world, we'd be lost. Let me say it to you again. If he fixed the visible, physical, human issues of the world without first fixing the spiritual, the need for reconciliation with God, our hearts being restored to God, if he, if he fixes the world without first fixing that, when he does come to fix the world, we'd be lost. You know, I, people expressing, and I can understand it, if I'd believe in him, I, I think he'd be worth following, people are saying, if he cared enough to do something to fix the world. But here's what I'm wanting to say. If, if he fixed the world without first securing you in forgiveness with himself, you'd be lost. He'd lose you. And this is such an important point, I've got an illustration for you. And don't put it up yet, just hold it for a sec because I've, I've got an image for you. Now, I was going to use another image. I sent a, asked a medical amongst us to go and do, get an image of a, an accident that we, I might be able to show you to illustrate this point. And he came back with the most horrific, which I thought was okay, but one of my sons said, you can't show that, people will be horrified. So I found a more, say, what I thought was more, less gruesome. But just because someone said after 8.30, 
is that your least gruesome one? Yes, when you see the gruesome one. But just a warning, if you find images a little distasteful, this is a warning, this might hurt, offend some people, so close your eyes if you're not interested in watching this, but look at this little image on the screen here. Can you see that? Is everyone okay? Right, you should see the other one. We won't, well, I won't show you, but you've got here a spear gun lodged in someone's leg. Now, um, how do you think the man's feeling at the moment? In pain. Okay, what are you tempted to do with that? Pull it out, pull it out. The other image I have, which I don't know if describing it is just as bad, but it, uh, Phil found for me a picture of a man with a, with a rusted post embedded in his chest. <laughs> and, and it's just extraordinary. And, um, you, you know, right in. Now, in both instances, everyone came out okay, all right? But here's the thing. You do not pull them out. Now, with the post in the chest, it's obvious. But here's the thing. The danger with this kind of stuff, and here's a quick medical lesson for you. You leave it in because if you pull it out, it might have actually severed an artery and being embedded in the wound keeps the arteries shut. And if you don't know what's going on and you just pull it out, it opens the arteries and the person dies. Now... That doesn't seem obvious, but that could be happening there. So leave it in until you've got someone with the skill to open it up, shut the arteries, make it safe before pulling it out. The man with the post embedded in his chest, they actually had to open his chest up, seal all the arteries, fix up all, and then remove it. And he's doing well, he's alive, and it's a medical report. But do you see... Now listen to this. Imagine you're with this person. And you say, I think a doctor would be good news if he cared enough to take it out. Can't you see the pain they're in? No, no. The doctor who is very good news is the doctor who cares enough to leave it in until it's fixed to be able to take it out. You know, if God were to fix our world today, he would fix it thoroughly and properly, let me assure you. But that means removing every bit of evil, every scrap of sin. And the problem with that is that evil is not just out there, it's in here. There was an author called um, uh, Solzhenitsyn who said, he's a great Russian author, he said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not through classes, not between political parties, but right through every human heart. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil is one small bridgehead of good. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. It, it, the world we live in is not one where there are evil people out there and there are good people over here and I'm part of the good people. The world we live in is one where evil and good resides in the human heart, every one of us. And so to remove evil from the world is to destroy every human heart unless those hearts are secured, replaced, cleansed, purified. End all the horror, pull out the stake without first healing the very place where evil exists. 
it would kill us all. And so God sends his son to give a taste of his love to fix, but to put off the physical, to deal with the deeper heart issue, to secure us back in relationship with himself and as many as possible back in relationship with himself, healed in the very heart where sin resides, so that when he finally does come to judge, there'll be some that survive the cleansing. It's because God cares that he's slow to fix. It's because of the love of God that he doesn't step in immediately and fix it all. Do you see? I can understand. I can understand the cry that says, what is God doing? It's real for many people. It's very deeply personal. But the Bible brings a profoundly different insight that fits so well with the truth of our circumstances. He is working. He's the surgeon who's leaving it to fix the heart of as many as he can, as as many will come to him, so that when he pulls the stake out, when he ends this world, there are as many as he determines to be with him in the new age, where there will be no more sin, no more selfishness, no more greed, no more oppression, no more division, hostility, hatred. And to be secured for that life is the most important thing that you could ever find in this life. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? The invisible hidden realities matter far, far more. If this man went home still paralysed but forgiven and restored, it would have been a very good day. You might feel you don't need God. Can I gently and hopefully kindly say you are selling your soul? There is an eternal future where it will all be fixed and you will not be part of that. Now, we don't get to be part of it by being better than other people. Next week, we're going to wrestle with this issue exactly, but we don't get to be there because we're better than others, but because Jesus has died in our place and paid the penalty and healed my heart not by my efforts, by his work. You know, I I must confess to feeling defensive for God. Not that he needs me to, but I do feel it. I feel defensive for God because I hear of so many rejecting him because he seems like he's not caring and what's he doing? Why doesn't he fix things? At the very moment where he is holding the world's body with the stake in its heart, holding it like a surgeon who knows the best way to heal is to keep it until he's secured the heart. And our God is waiting patiently because he does not want to lose one of you. And he is bearing with the grief of the world because he does not want to lose one of you. You know, I want to invite you to do, to respond to what the Bible is calling us to this morning. I want to invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you to do three things. You need to do this in your time. But I'd urge you to think how important it is. First thing is to change your mind. I want to encourage you to change your mind about God. The the easy way of seeing things is actually not what really is happening. I understand how easy it is to see it that way, but the Bible brings a deeper insight 
that fits so well with the truth around us. He is not absent. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to be lost. His patience is there so that he can win you back. Things that appear to be his disinterestness is actually his deepest grief and concern as he holds the world, resisting the call to pull the stake out until he has secured as many as possible. I want to encourage you to change your mind about God, to see the loving God and how caring he is and how much he is pursuing you. Second, I want to invite you to humble yourself. Now, I've hesitated about that language because it feels like the preacher, the arrogant preacher telling you to humble yourself. Now, this is me. It's, it's to recognise I've seen it, I've seen God in a way that doesn't fit the way he actually is. And that takes humility to recognise that about ourselves. That we had been running the wrong way, away from him, justified in our own minds that we were doing the right thing because of the way we'd read it. But having changed the way to read it, I want to suggest to you it's time to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. It may seem we don't need him, but that's because we're not seeing the invisible realities where we desperately need his work on our behalf to forgive and restore us before he returns. Humble yourself. And third, come back. Come back. Hand your life back over to this God who cares. There's a sense in which I want to say, don't waste the pain. God is holding this pain for as many of us as possible to be won back. Give meaning to that pain by recognising the importance of coming back reconciled to this God through what he has done for us on the cross. He is for you. He's bearing a lot to give you time. He's patient. Hand your life back over. How do you do that? Well, prayer is a great way to start, by praying, and I'm going to do that now. If you'd like to join me, join me in your own head, heart, as I pray to our God. Our God, we, uh, we confess that we so often misunderstand you and what you're doing. We're sorry. Please forgive us. Thank you. Thank you for caring so much that you sent your son to heal the heart before anything else. Thank you that you came and in your son and paid such a price to make it possible for us to be forgiven. Thank you for that gift. Please forgive us. Please restore us, reconcile us back into relationship with yourself. Please accept us on the merits of Jesus. And please change us to now live a life that honours and pleases you. In Jesus' name, Amen.